Hi folks, our content warnings for this week. Uh, we will be talking about church. We will be talking about, uh, I guess there's uh, some talk about serial killers in the interview and uh, prison. All right. I was, uh, the interview is lit. Clearly. Just amazing. Um, and we have animals, and they make noise. Right now, Orange Cat seems to think that I am the greatest thing in the world and need all the love. Indeed. So uh, earlier she was licking my fingers and bumped her head up against, like, my mouse finger, and the recording stopped. So you'll notice my hand is far away from the mouse. <laughs> uh, the other thing to mention is we swear frequently at the cats. With passion and verve. Yes. The, the most... Notable of them is asleep in his Tower of Solitude. That's Sergei, who has a bed now on top of the tallest bookcase in my office, because that's where he wanted to be anyway. Indeed. And this just saves everybody some trouble and things falling on my head. Uh, but we'll drop some swear bombs, and that's why we mark this as explicit. Also, there's literally an F-bomb behind you on my on my Go board case. Yes, yes, there is. It is yeah. crocheted. Yes. Welcome to Productivity Alchemy episode 192. Hi, folks. Uh, it's good to be here. We are hoping against hope that what is really going on outside has been spring. Yes, it, it's going to get up to 80, and we're super excited. And then the forecasts have the temperature starting to drop again, and I'm like, oh, please, God, no. Yeah, we may be on fall spring number five at this point. Oh, I don't God, know anymore. Oh, God, so many springs of deception. Yeah. Uh, We're but, used to it. Yeah. But I have a broody hen. Yes. Which means that when the chicks arrive, we're about two weeks out from the chicks arriving, and there's a countdown now on chicken cam, uh, there will be baby chickens. Yes. And she will take care of them. That's the hope. We, uh, we mm -hmm. go in in the night, or mostly Kevin goes in in the night, takes out an egg, pops a... Dale chick under her, and uh, she is not bright enough to realize that the chick has not hatched. It, um, I've I've never had done it in the dead of night. It's always just been we have the chicks. Let's go true. shove them under the hen, and it seems to work. The system works. Yes, and uh, she raises them much better than humans would. So. Ever could, ever could, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and exciting because that's like now that that's like a mark of spring for me now. It new chick season. New chick season. Yeah, it wasn't initially, but after that first year with the baby chicks and shoving them under tiny little goth mama and you know doing that again and then last year having like actual fertilized eggs from the roosters and hatching and uh, just exciting. Yeah. Just exciting. I find buying Dale chicks a lot easier, though. It's, it's yeah. I mean, the the one problem is you're going to have potentially some fertile eggs in that batch that are not far off from hatching, but which you but, might want to candle them, and if anybody's, like, right at, you know. Uh, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, oh, I don't know if any of those are actually fertilized. Right. Because uh, we think Lorge might be shooting blanks. Yes. Uh, and Daryl hasn't been allowed near the hens in the time that those were laid. Indeed. Uh, because Daryl... Daryl is in disgrace for becoming aggressive. Yes. But we'll go to Dog Skull in a bit and uh, have a chance at a new life away from his nemesis. Yes. And what's what's been funny about this is as 
in the space of the three days it took Buffy to decide, I'm kind of feeling broody, to uh, I'm mostly broody, to I am now an angry pancake in the middle of the coop. Over the eggs, yes. She just becomes this flat rage pancake. Yeah, but in that time, the other chickens have slowly started sleeping further and further away from her. And now, and it's a very small coop. They all, and the thing is, like, they, they've had access to bigger coops and have still always wanted to all huddle in together. They're very right, social. Right, right. They're, you know, we all want to be sleeping in a tight sort of clump. They, uh, they now fill the nest boxes. They do anything they can to get away from the rage pancake. Yeah. And, and she has taken the eggs are all there. None, no one was laying in the nest box. All the yeah. eggs are just laid, were laid like in the middle of the floor. The floor. And so they're all, she gathered the looser outskirts ones up and yeah. Uh, and, and they do this. It, it looks like hungry, hungry hippos chicken oh edition. God. They stretch their neck out, sort of hook their beak over it and then pull it back into the clump. It's quite a thing. It really is. Yeah. And so, so all the other chickens are terrified of her now because you know broody hens are approach with caution. Yeah, and it's on the one hand, this is great for my mental well-being because I can go out and check on my broody mama and make sure she's you know okay and everybody's well, everybody's leaving her alone. I don't need to check on that. I know that. <laughs> um, on the other hand, it's hard to not just be out there all the time watching. <laughs> right now. And it's going to get worse when the baby chicks come in. Oh, yeah. You know, I've already thought about, okay, can I just take a, uh, like a small table and a chair and my work laptop and just go out there and, and sit and with the chickens. And sit with the chickens. No, I understand completely. And in fact, I have uh, done something similar. You know, as as you know, my passion is not chickens, it is gardening. But I basically decided that for this this is the super busy spring season yeah yeah when everything is coming up and you have to do ten thousand little things uh that i basically said i days when i'm working in the garden i will make half word count i will not do i will not worry if i you know don't do the full thing i will not set myself up for misery and so far, it's worked pretty well. Uh, you yeah, know, if it's yeah. like cold and raining, I and I can't go out. I do the full amount, and if I am having an idea, you know, I I follow it and will do more than than the allotted. But uh, it's yeah. And by, by giving it now, here's an interesting question: by yeah. saying if I go out in the garden, I only have to make half word count. Mm-hmm. Have you all, have you just have you been like saying okay I'm done with my half my half normal word count and I'm going back to the garden or have you felt better about it and done maybe more than you expected? Uh, usually, what happens is I start out in the garden, and then when I've done like the immediate stuff, or today it started raining, I go in, I make my my 500 words or whatever, and then uh, when I'm done, I tend to go back out in the garden. Yeah, okay. Because that's really, you know, this is the, the super itchy gardening season. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't be able to do this if I hadn't gotten an extension on the one main book. But, you know, it's it's 
it is a great privilege to be able to do that, but it also keeps me from becoming increasingly like stressed and unhappy with the word yeah. count and it and making the word count, you know, much more of a chore than it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh what usually happens is that I'll get to like four hundred and eighty words and I'll be like, I need to write twenty more words. And then I'll start writing them, but the thought is incomplete, so I'll have to write more to finish that up, and then I know the next thing, and then I've written 700 words right, right, total, right, right. you know, yeah. when I'm done. So uh, it's I'm not really falling particularly far behind. I mean, maybe a little, but uh, not as as brutally as I might be, partly because I got the extension and all. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and yeah. and that, and because you are saying this is the minimum bar, the pressure's off, right? It is. It's an attainable goal. And oh yeah, I can I can do five hundred standing on my yeah. head. Yeah, and so it wouldn't surprise me if it's actually easier to to exceed that. Oh yeah, I, I seem yeah. to be usually doing like six fifty, seven fifty a day uh, instead, yeah. and uh, and then occasionally I'll have. I totally had an idea days and do, you know, 800 and, uh, or a thousand. And I'm, I'm skipping between a lot of, uh, manuscripts at the moment. I'm sort of in the, put a couple words on 20 different ideas stage. Yeah. 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 And, uh, sooner or later I will knuckle down on the two main ones that I really need to be working on, but, but none of it's wasted. None of it's wasted. That's, no, no, that's it, sort of it really is right? Like, yeah. if, if I have learned anything, it is that the thousand words I write now, even if they're not on my main money makers, are going to be really handy in a year or two. Right. Right. So, uh, for me, uh, having, aside from the, I don't want to go back in and do my job moments with this nice weather and my chickens being all chickeny, uh, I've actually been uh, really busy and really productive at work because we've got I've got a couple projects now that are in various states and you know when I when I click into one and sometimes it it takes that like I have to get my mindset right click into one just roll with it and get a lot done um especially since uh, I've been doing tech writing oh yeah for uh I'm designing basically I'm writing a new uh, compliance specification for internal use. I mean, that's the fancy way of saying um, I'm making some. I'm making up new rules that we're going to abide by, and uh, but it's hard. It's really hard work. Um, if you're not like in that groove, it takes a lot. If you're not like normally a tech writer. Oh yeah, you you, you know. don't see me tech writing. Yeah, uh, and I but um, it's it's pretty predictable it's like things were a little slow and now there's like three or four things that are just like time to go let's get it done and so it's not stressful because i can we've got the time and the freedom to balance out that stuff but it's just funny at this point in that way that it's like well it doesn't feel like there's much going on i mean i got a lot done but it it doesn't feel meaty yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like boom, here are these things that need to get done or that you've been like that have been pending or you know on the very edge if we can start on this for like 2 or 3 months and it's just like boom, done. Okay, let's go. Um 
And that's a great feeling. And also, you know, sometimes a little stressful because I'm working a little later in the evenings now just to, you know, finish up and talk to people in different time zones and stuff. So, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and I sort of sympathize because on the gardening front, you know, there are months and months of the year I can't do anything. Right. And so we, I've just been kind of uh, hover, you know, the coiled spring waiting right. for the, the, to to cut loose so uh yeah and you know i part of me with the catholic guilt feels extremely <laughs> guilty for being like oh my god you're out working in the garden you're not uh you're not uh writing you're not being productive and and the thing is it is productivity because it's not like you know i'm i'm just sort of gallivanting among the flowers or anything like no that's what i do with the chickens i'm i'm you know, I a lot of it is I'm hauling mulch around. I'm dragging trees, you know, logs basically. Yeah, we cut down so many trees and chop them up, and they need to be cleared and stuff. Yeah, yeah you know, I'm I'm moving and swapping things around, trying to get the maximum amount of light, and uh, occasionally just outright digging holes in muck. It's like if you paid someone for this, you would have to pay them a not inconsiderable sum. Right. But because it is a thing I love, I feel extremely guilty about it because I'm like, because it doesn't bring in any money. I think it's not even that I, that it's a thing I love. It's that it doesn't bring in any money. So I feel the intense guilt of, you know, you are not actively working to make money every second of the day. Therefore, pardon, therefore the bad thing will happen to you. And uh, the, the fill in the blank with the bad thing is it's anxiety. You know? Yeah, yeah. But and I had to I had to like make your your famous statement, one of my favorite statements that you do. And maybe it's a quote you stole from somebody else. I don't know. Um, but uh, hobbies are something you spend money on. Yes. Uh, my stepmother, Mavis, I stole it from her. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had to say it because someone was commenting today. Uh, there was, I guess, am I the asshole or something similar? One of those posts um, came across. And it's basically a dad who's trying to get his 17 year old daughter to stop knitting as a hobby because she's making things they don't need and it's not bringing in, it's not bringing her in any money. And I kind of want to reach through the screen and, and, and strangle this person. We we have gotten so capitalism has done a number on us in that none of us are allowed to have hobbies. We're only allowed to have side hustles. Yes. And if you are a person who has occasionally monetized their hobby and then regretted it, um, see also many, many things I've done. I've monetized basically every art form I've ever tried with the end result that you don't see me doing a lot of art these days yep. because it's all work now. Uh so, you know, I, I am incapable of like, you know, approaching a even something like an art doll or something without the back of my brain going, you can sell this for money and that, you know, or will this be marketable? Which, yeah. And, you know, damn capitalism. Hobbies. You're allowed to have hobbies that do not make money and will never make money, but to get there, I eventually had to take up gardening, which will never make money. And and that, I'll be honest, chickens will never make money. Oh no! And all of the associated things I now do in with the chickens, the uh, the verma verma compost, and yeah. yeah, and the uh, t 
tank I have where I'm raising mealworms for the chickens. Although, honestly, I gotta say, the vermiculture is not particularly expensive. No. It's just, no. it's basically a much more efficient composting method. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Uh, then, you know, in a bit, you'll dump out the tanks and the or the tub and the chickens get half and I get half. Yeah. And everybody wins. Yeah. Right? So. But, you know, that's not the same as you're, you know, out there hustling to sell worms. And, right, right. You know, you, you need you need things that are exist purely for joy and not because you're going to make a fortune on them. Like maybe recording podcasts. Yeah, I, I don't see us making a fortune on, on for Although, you know, we do have the Patreon income where people give us money partly for the podcast you yeah, know, whatnot. Yeah, so but... by that measure, yes, but... Uh, on the other hand, you know, it's, yeah, it's a we labor will, of love. We will not talk about how much the equipment costs over time. Uh, no, no, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, you, yeah. there, we could sell blood probably at a better ROI. Yes. But, you know, but it's, it's love. You love it. I do. Yeah. It's okay to do things because you love them. Nobody ever had written on their, nobody on their deathbed ever gasped. I should have had more side hustles. I hope not. If they do, they're probably not someone I wanted to know. They've written 15 blog posts already about how you should have 15 side hustles on your deathbed. And if you're no, not. No, they've written the same blog post 15 times about <laughs> that. With affiliate links. Right. And right. a whole bunch of advice that uh, really doesn't make sense. Fair. You have an interview that makes a lot of sense. Though. I do. I really do. Please uh, admire the smoothness of my segue interview. Yeah, I, I had a chance to sit down with L. Dowd, who's an activist and a, a ministry candidate, and also the author of the upcoming "Baptized by Tear Gas." Uh, wait, where's the subtitle on this one? Because it's it's brilliant. Um, Sorry, I have to click around. Baptized in tear gas from white moderate to abolitionist. And that's coming out in August. But to get there, uh, we had uh, we talked about uh, her routine and, you know, all the things she does. And we're going to have that for you right after this. Hi, folks. I am here today with L. Dowd, who is an activist, and I believe you're a student, and I have lost track of all the things you do. So why don't you give us a better introduction than what I just did? <laughs> oh, that was great. Um, I usually say that I am an activist an author, and a candidate for ministry in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which means I am um, like a pastor in training, a 
looking for a pastor job, then I'll be a full pastor. And the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or ELCA, is a mainline denomination, which is the largest Lutheran denomination in the United States. And as, I mean, I grew up ELCA. Um, yeah. As far back as, like, I think the church I was in was ALC, the American Lutheran Church, before the ELCA founded in the 70s. That That's big merger that happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um yeah, I, uh, I, every time I look, I'm like, oh, good, they're being progressive. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it depends. Like, there's, there's, uh, it's a, it's a whole wide variety of stuff, but, you oh, know, yeah. we're getting there. Yeah, and, um, certainly, uh, I live in the South, so a lot of, a, a lot of the more conservative denominations are here. And yeah. so it's always refreshing to be able to say, well, I, I'm, I'm lapsed primarily, so, you know, but if I need to, I can drive the hour to the nearest ELCA church and, and, and get it, Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So with all that going on, um, how do you keep yourself organized? Yes, I was thinking about this because I know that's like what this podcast is about, and I was thinking they're going to be disappointed to know that I'm like very low tech about keeping things balanced and organized, but I really just use, I've tried, you know, paper planners, whatever, but I really just use like my Google calendar and I like have a bunch of shared calendars. Um, and then I, I kind of put like to-do lists every day. Um, but the, I think the big thing that makes that successful, cause I know there's other people like my spouse who has Google calendars, but the problem is he doesn't always check it. So like, the big thing that helps me is that, you know, every day I check like, you know, what's going on today, but then I also look ahead what's going on tomorrow and the next week so that if there's things, you know, if I have like on my to-do list, oh, I have this article I need to write, it's due on Sunday that like on Thursday I put in there to actually write the article, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, hey, I have Google Calendar, I have electronic to-do lists, and then I have, you know, my big paper planner that I copy everything into to cement it in my head. So I like, I want to be one of those people that has like the color coordinated pens and stuff. Like, cause I like the creative, like the visual aspects, but it's just like, I never have it with me when I want it then, you know what I mean? So it's yeah, yeah. It with me. I mean, the, the, the best tool to use is the one you always have with you. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, all right, hold on. Let me gather thoughts for a second. Um, so do you, you have any systems around that or, or any particular habits you keep up with? Um, any sneaky alarms you use just to keep yourself on track? I definitely have because um, I try to do, you know, in addition to, like, work and being a parent and mm -hmm. you know, organizing, all that stuff, I try to also, you know, keep up with, like, Duolingo and working out and, you know, meditating and all that stuff. And so those apps that, you know, I do those things with, then I enable those push notifications because that helps yeah. me to make sure that I don't miss, you know? Yeah. So uh, Apple or Google? Yeah, I have an iPhone. Okay. Apple. All my stuff is Apple, actually. <laughs> um, my in college, um, my spouse is a design major, and um, so he had 
like Apple and that was like what he always used. And then, you know, as we're like building a home together, we want all the things to talk to each other nicely. So that's kind of like now that's our whole home is like Apple products. And it, it integrates so nicely. Um, the the health tracker on the watch works very well with my, okay, yeah, I have the smart scale that can talk to the health app so that I can track it all kind of in one place. And yeah. um, their, their ecosystem is really well integrated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, plus, I can sync my steps from my watch to Pokemon Go, and that may be one of the more important things I've got going on. Yeah, it's very motivating. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So um, the reminders: Are there any particular apps that are like really valuable that are like can't live without, or um, really, other than Google Calendar? <laughs> yeah, it's really the calendar. I know that's like. Um, I think one like I guess maybe tip or something as far as like in Google Calendars that I have learned to do. Um, we were talking about this before we got started is, you know, sometimes it's so easy to sort of like schedule yourself back to back to back to back on stuff. And then oh, forget, yeah, yeah. like schedule showers or like be a human or someone has to cook dinner, right? Like that kind of stuff. And so I, I really like put like everything in the calendar. So if it's like, oh, I have this event and I'll need to drive to it. I'll like put the travel time into the calendar or you know, what I'm eating that day, I'll like, like, as far as like making for dinner, I'll put it in the calendar. So it's like, for me, I like having it just all in one place. But one thing um, that they, a lot of people who are in ministry do is sort of divide the day up into three blocks so that, um, you know, some of us end up working too many hours. So they are, because of the nature yeah. of that, you know, like, kind of like you're always on call and um, people sort of expect regular office hours, but at the same time you're serving mostly people who work or are in school. So it's a lot of nights and weekends. And so the best mm -hmm. thing to do is kind of like take the time at other times. Right. So if I am working a lot of evenings, then maybe like the next morning I take off because I already have worked so many hours in the evening. So kind of schedule yeah, block. Yeah. So I'll make like appointments with myself to like not do things, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is your, I'll have like, you know, maybe every couple of months I'll have like a day in the calendar. That's like just completely blocked off. that says do nothing today. So that's a, that's my major tip. And, and that's, there's actually a name for that technique, believe it or not. Yeah. It's called time boxing. Time boxing. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, um, uh, it's that blocking off time for yourself is really important. And I think a lot of people, um, well, now not so much because there's been a lot of emphasis on it since, oh, I don't know, March 2021 or 2020 or so. Um, yeah. But um, still a lot of people are like, wow, I don't seem to have time for myself. And yeah. like, no, you got to schedule it. Set an appointment with yourself for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and in the before times, you know, I used to um, go to I had a membership for a while at Orange Theory Fitness, which is like you have to schedule the appointment to go work out. And then oh. if you don't go. They charge you $15 or whatever. So that was like um, 
you know, something I did like on purpose because then it's, again, it's like scheduled into your calendar. It's like an mm-hmm. appointment and that you don't want to miss and you're like penalized if you miss it, you know, so. Yeah, and you've, you can add the travel time in there so that you know, okay, I have to leave at this time. Right, and yeah. 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 Um, I, that's, that's, that's how I feel about my tattoo appointments. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but uh, then if I don't get on the schedule in time, it might be, I think I'm in... I'm in a gap right now. I don't think my my last appointment was like early December and my next one is in March. And it's yeah. like, you know, that's a little me time in there um, yeah. for something I want. But, you know, I have to plan ahead. Yeah. Especially in the in the now times as compared to the before times where it was like I could just, you know, call ahead and be like, hey, you got a free slot, I feel like. And now it's like, no, we're going to plan it out a little better. It's so strange because in some ways there's so much more flexibility. Like I'm working at home all the time. I can take meetings in my pajamas, like whatever. Um, And yet because there's all, you know, these, we have health concerns and there's so many more logistics to think through that on the other hand, in some ways it's like, it requires more planning. So, and, and I think the time blocking has been really important for me as I'm working more and more from home too, because otherwise it can just feel like, you can just work forever, right? Like if I don't do that, I'll work, a, you know, several 12, 16 hour days in a row. And then it's like, how did that happen? And it's like, well, because like if home is your office or whatever, even though like we have an office, I'm in the office right now, it's easy to just forget. Like yeah. there's not as clear, obvious boundaries about home and off. I, I, uh, I've been working from home now uh, for 10 years. Right, I am one of the lucky few who had a remote job way back in the before times, um, and it wasn't my first uh, work from home job, but it was really easy this time around or that time around to fall into that trap because I was like the only person on call, and the, most of our people were on the West Coast, and so it's like, yeah, I have my morning stuff to do and then I start to work and then it just sort of bleeds right on over because yeah. that's what time everybody else is working. Yeah, no. And you, you have to stop, step back and take that time for yourself and guard it jealously. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, it's like, there's, you know, we live in this very hyper-capitalistic society that like mm-hmm. I've internalized so many messages about like your productivity is like what makes you a good person or what makes you like worthy or whatever. And it's like, that's not true. You know, like there's obviously like I think of myself, I think you and I are both creatives. Like I want to get stuff done because I'm lucky enough things in my life I want to do, but it shouldn't, it should never be like, we should resist that urge to be like what you produce is like your worth. Like humans have inherent dignity and worth. Yeah. My wife is a full-time author. She's a she's a novelist. She's an artist, and she threw her back out. And I literally had to tell her. I think it was at the end of at the end of one of the episodes. No, healing is productivity. Right? Yeah. Because ah. yeah, if you if you don't feel bad that you're not getting the words done, you're you're doing something just as important. Right. Yeah. That's a really that's a really good point of view. I was thinking about. Um, I don't remember who who first said this to me or where I first read this, but the idea that um, anytime you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else, right? So it's like um, I am fortunate enough to have 
so many things in my life that I like want to say yes to. And so it's easy to be like, you know, sometimes people will be like, Oh, if it's not a hell yeah, don't do it. And it's like, well, I'm have this great problem of loving all these things that I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, but when I frame it that way of like, if you say yes to this, you're saying no to something else. Like if I say yes to, you know, working extra late or whatever, I'm saying no to bedtime with my kids, you know? Right. So yeah. And sometimes maybe that's okay, but like, I wouldn't want to do that all the time, you know? So that has helped me understand. Um, yeah. My, my cousin uh, says that saying no is allowing somebody else to say yes. Yes. So it's more like a, an opportunity for other people. Yeah. Well, and especially in nonprofits also in create, you know, mm-hmm. creative spaces. Um, there's this problem of like, you know, a handful of people or a cult of personality sort of carrying a whole operation. And then it's, you know, you become the person who does that, who kind of overworks or takes on more leadership, becomes this martyr or hero. But at the end of the day, it's not only not good for like that person who's overworking, it's bad for the longevity of the organization. Oh, especially yeah. we see this in nonprofits so much, like in the church, like, yeah, if you, you know, pastor whoever if you pastor Mm -hmm. sam work 80 hours a week what happens when you retire or whatever and then how is this church going to Mm -hmm. function is the expectation going to be oh anyone who works here has to be able to work 80 hours a week because then you are really limiting your options um and especially when you think of like the way systemic oppression and other systems come into play there like if you can only work 80 hours a week like people who have kids, you know, aren't going to be able to get a job. So you're really limiting yourself um, and the health of the organization when you kind of take that extra space, take that extra leadership. One of the most toxic jobs I ever had, I overheard, um, it, it was a very small company, uh, but I overheard our like executive VP say, I do not want to have, I do not want to interview anyone with kids or you know, a spouse, because I, you know, if they can't work at least 10 hours a day, we we're not interested. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm creating rules for myself about jobs. I will never, you know, things to look out for in the future. Yeah, um, totally. yep. I mean, it was what, 20 years ago now. So, <laughs> well, you know, I feel like that attitude, I don't know, you know, I'm a millennial and they say that we don't like to work, but I don't find that to be true. I find me and all of my friends, at least the people I hang out with, have like a job and then like a side hustle and then maybe like a hobby. We're maybe trying to monetize and then like DoorDash on the weekends because they're still paying student loans, you know. But um, yeah, yeah. But there's this there's definitely a lack of the same. We, we don't or at least I don't have the same level of like loyalty to a company that a lot of um, my older colleagues and peers have. And to me, that's because I'm like, yeah, like I, y'all can replace me. You know, there's a million pastors out there. There's a million authors out there. My kids have me as mom, you know, yeah. or yeah. Um, my friends have me as their friends. It's you, this organization in general, even, you know, benevolent organizations, benevolent companies, you're replaceable. They don't, they don't care, you know? Yeah. Um, and Coming from the perspective of Gen X, yeah. like the perspective, like it's unfair to put those same pressures on millennials because, as like, why are we jaded? Because we were sold that whole you will, you know, that whole boomers and you will get a 
job and you'll work there for 30 years yeah. and had that just like carpet pulled out from under us. And everybody's like, well, the millennials don't want to work. I'm like, do you blame them? Right. You know? Right. right. You know? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I was thinking about when you were saying that your wife is also an author. I was thinking about, so I'm a first time author. This is my first book. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of um, shorter pieces, right? Like I've done a lot of, I've published for a few years around um, liturgy resources, like, you know, resources <laughs> for churches, right? Like right, right. and rituals and stuff. And I've also um, published some like articles and blogs and, you know, that kind of stuff. But this is the first time I've like written a whole book and it was a really different um, experience. And of course, you know, I signed the contract in early April. So it was like when we were first talking about me writing this book, I definitely envisioned a really different world than the one that I had oh, to write. Yeah. The book. You know, like I pictured myself at like some local coffee shop and just like snuggled in. And it was more like my two kids are doing school from home here. My spouse is trying to take a Zoom call over here. I'm like in our small apartment. There's no, you know, the Wi-Fi is going out and I'm trying to write this book. Like it was a totally yeah, yeah. different, um, I don't know, experience. And I, I wonder how that was for your wife too. Well, um, she started actually as an illustrator. So mm -hmm. she had her webcomic that mm -hmm. uh, absolutely brilliant. Everybody who listens, I'm sure you've heard me gush about this, but it's called Digger. It won the Hugo Award in 2012, uh, you know, so, but by then she was writing more short stories and yeah, she was going to the coffee shop. Um, she had her, her routine, go to the coffee shop, get coffee, write. Um, and it was always a little touch and go. Um, last year she got diagnosed for ADHD and medicated. And that was a game changer in like today's in the now world, right? Yeah. She was she was still making her deadlines in the before times, right? But when suddenly it was all here, all home, she couldn't go to the coffee shop. We couldn't right. go to the coffee shop, right? Um, it, yeah, it was a sort of a big adjustment. Um, now she writes at the kitchen table. Um, I have my office, um, which you know uh, you can sort of see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, for her, it was much more of a, a, a bigger adjustment. Because they're okay, I'll keep the coffee going all the time, given the opportunity. So that wasn't a big deal. But it was it was more the you know the interaction, the social bits, um, yeah. and uh, occasionally the idea generation. Um, but yeah. she's adapted. I really something I really noticed that was hard for me, um, and I don't know if I've adapted, but it, I have now noticed it, so that helps. But um, I realized, you know, I was like one night I was like crying because we couldn't go to brunch. And I know with everything that was going on in the world, like that is literally the, the there's nothing <laughs> less important than that. Right. But I was like, why am I so I'm like a good cook. I can like make brunch. Like, why am I so upset about this? And I realized that what I missed wasn't like the food, but like going into a space that was like had particular you know, interior design and a vibe and an atmosphere. And it was really draining on creatively to not have that level of creative input of like a change of scenery and like, oh, different music, different wallpaper, or in the case, you know, of brunch in particular, oh, the chef 
like changes up the menu or plates the food differently. And just that, yeah, kind of, yeah. those little things, I really took that for granted, which um, has made me more compassionate now about, especially people who are in institutionalized settings who never have access to that kind of stuff. So particularly people like who are incarcerated, right? Like they're not getting the sort of like creative input um, that for me has been so life-giving and that I didn't even realize it till I wasn't having it at the same level anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's always been, uh, okay, people, you've never heard this side of me. That's always been one of the things that I've, I've found as part of the whole uh, injustice of the justice system is that when we incarcerate people, we should be rehabilitating and we're not, and we should be giving opportunities and we're not. And part of that healing is art and part of that healing is light. And if you will pardon the phrasing on this, we tend to go a little more Old Testament, throw them in the hole and let them out when we feel they've learned their lesson versus right. New Testament on it, right? Right. Um, yeah. Well, and even just lacking some of the examples of like a merciful God in the Old Testament, right? Like it's just mm -hmm. this very um, punitive yeah. point of view. And I, um, so for people who don't know, my book is a lot about their criminal justice system. <laughs> um, the book's called Baptized in Tear Gas, White Moderate to Abolitionist. And so I'm a prison and policing abolitionist and I do organizing around that. And a lot of my work is around that. And so um, there's this, Thing that we run into a lot um, where when we're sort of bringing up, you know, talking with folks about abolition, there is this dominant narrative sometimes that's really hard to beat, which is basically like this idea that some people are just bad and so right. bad things should happen to them, right? Which is different than this other sort of narrative that we have that, you know, our justice system is supposed to rehabilitate people, but we know from the numbers and the data and the stories that like that is not the case, that our criminal justice system, our prisons do not make yeah. good promises. They don't do the things that they, they said they're going to do. They don't actually make us safer. They don't actually heal us. They don't actually bring justice. But there's definitely that um, there's like this strong narrative of like some people are bad and we should punish them as opposed to you know, in, in transformative justice or sort of justice, it's more like who was harmed? What do they need? How can we all heal? Which is a really different, you know, perspective than. Yeah, uh, I, I will. I, I have done a lot of reading and sort of studying up on serial killers and I will go the. Yeah. OK, there are some some particular illnesses and whatever that we have nothing there's nothing we can do about it and it's a damn shame but we're not even making the attempt to research it other than how do we find them before they kill too many people yeah. let me make a make a note to put a content warning on that one oh, yeah, the <laughs> so I, I also i love true crime stuff for some reason so i mm -hmm. i guess i also like love all those podcasts and documentaries i think one thing that i really appreciate um about abolition as a movement is that our current system likes to zero in on the individual and say, yeah. you know, this one person um, made bad choices, right? And what abolition does is it doesn't sort of abdicate personal responsibility, but what it does is it zooms out and it asks the question like, so how did we get here, right? How did, how did right. this get to this place? And it gives a communal responsibility for the response because as I'm sure you know from 
you know, being into serial killers. So many, <laughs> for example, were like experience extreme abuse, which again is right. not an excuse for, for the harm that's caused, but it does actually mean that we're all guilty in a way for allowing children oh. in particular to be hurt in such a way that these things happen. Yeah. And it's also, I think, because we look at the, at it's so, we are so punishment focused in the justice system, uh, yeah. that it's, uh, it's, I, I'm, I'm trying to find the right words. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't have the right words for just how, um, abusive it can make the system because now you've devalued the person. They're not a human being. Right. Once they're sent to prison, they're a number, they are quote unquote inmate, they are, but they're not a person. They are no longer, they become the other that we then demonize and, uh, you know, that it becomes really easy to just paint with that brush of, well, obviously, you know, because those people are like that kind of thing. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dr. Angela Davis, who's one of the architects of the abolition movement, has this quote that is um, something along the lines of prisons don't disappear problems. They disappear people. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, is really part of this dehumanization that you're talking about is that as a society, instead of looking at collectively the way that systemically we all play into these issues, we would rather disappear the reminders um, mm-hmm. that this is a problem, right? The problems are still there, right? Like our current criminal justice system does not get at the root cause of crime, does not get at the root cause of violence. So the problems remain. Prisons don't disappear those problems. It disappears people, right? People who yep. in the church, we would say, are created in an image of likeness of God, who have... Mm-hmm loved ones who had at one point at least hopes and dreams. And so yeah. we can tuck those people away because we don't like the way that it, you know, holds up a mirror to us. And then we're seeing the way that we're still all collectively responsible. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't make us safe. It just humanizes people. Yeah. And then we add on the four profit prison system, which I think is an abomination before the Lord to quote the King James Bible, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So let's reduce them even further to if we have 55, that means we make $175 each, right? That's no, that is not even, that's an abomination. Sorry, I get, yeah. I mean, there's, it's, uh, you know, um, in church lately with the lectionary, so in, in church, they like, for, for your listeners who might not know, they sort of assign, you know, the Bible's really big. So they sort of assign different readings every week. And, and we've been doing a lot recently um, on demon possession, which that's the whole thing we could get into, right? Like there's a lot right, of, yeah. I went to, I have a whole master's program to deal with this stuff, but the short version, <laughs> like, you know, like raising up here is um is is that these like systems right like for-profit prisons or um the the underlying systems that lead to this like hyper capitalism like corporate greed like white supremacy all of these systems we can really think of as like a demonic possession right of our of our community of our of our you know collective souls right it's like it's this force that is at one 
at the same time, both really impersonal and incredibly intimately personal that just wrecks things because it is so in, under, and through every aspect of life um, as we know it in society and yet um, many times is invisible. So that's my, you know, framework when I think about, you know, white supremacy or whatever. Mm -hmm. It really, to me, feels like uh, a demonic force, which why I like resonate with you saying that some of these, you know, carceral systems that we have in play right now are an abomination. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Okay, lighter topic. (laughs) (laughs) We really went to like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. Human possession. Timing, uh, tangents happen, um, right. and you know, there's there's my friend Dino. I don't know why, but whenever we we start recording, it goes three hours because we just tangent, tangent, tangent. So right, it's cool. Right. Um, so, what does a typical day look like? Yeah. Other than debating podcast hosts about or discussing podcast with podcast hosts, the interesting right. world. I mean, you know. Right. Well, and you know, yeah, that is honestly frequently part of my day to day. So um, I'll say like right now, and I will also say that even in the in the before times, um, (laughs) it was similar in a way. Right. Like a lot of these conversations would happen in person. But um, the substance of a lot of the work that I do was pretty similar. So I'll say like in a typical week right now, um, I'll get up. And I will spend, do some uh, social media work because a lot of what I do is, you know, communication, right? So um, in church, you know, sometimes we call that like public witness, but it's it's basically like trying to see what conversations are happening and then contribute to the conversation, connect people, whatever. So I usually do text my socials in the morning um, and then end up, you know, returning emails and then. Uh, working on some projects. So for me, on any typical day, I might be writing a sermon. I might be writing a uh, liturgy for a church. I might be writing an article um, or I might have meetings. So I might have a board meeting. I, um, I'm on the board for a couple of different organizations. One is SOUL, which is Southsiders Organized for Unity and Liberation, which is on the south side of Chicago, the abolitionist uh, liberation organization, power organization. Um, so maybe I'd have meetings either as a board member or I might have meetings um, about campaigns we're working on. So recently we've had some meetings about water affordability because we're working on that right now. But yeah. And then I might have, um, you know, I might also have some sort of like one to one meeting with someone who either wants prayer or pastoral care. Um, and then very typically I'm either on a on a podcast interview um, <laughs> like now or on a panel or some other sort of like webinar, right. Where I'm speaking. And so, um, or being interviewed. So that's like a pretty typical day and kind of in under and through that there's, you know, social media checks and I, you know, trying to make sure my kids have lunch and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I am, there's the, one of the things I'm very thankful for is that, my youngest was finishing his senior year of high school when all of this started. So, you know, I have a a deep respect for every parent out there with uh, younger children who require the more supervision. I know how much work that is from when mine were younger, but even then, you know, when we still had in-person school in the before times, um, I mean, even if it was now, oh my God, he's going to be 20. 
my youngest is going to be 20 later this year. Um, you know, even if it was 15, 16 years ago now. Yeah. Um, yeah, my kids are kind of in, at that age. So I have two um, teenagers. They're they're both 13. They're about to turn 14. And um, I know. They're, they're the best. I'm, I feel just really lucky because they're like, I just, yeah. if we're going to be, if I'm going to be trapped here with people, I'm like glad I like the people I'm trapped with. But they're definitely in that phase um, as far as like developmentally and parenting wise where they're like testing out some independence, but still, you know, if I don't feed them, they won't eat. Right. So. Um, to sort of let them try and stumble and figure it out and then how much also mm -hmm. to provide support. And um, so as far as school goes, I'm really fortunate that my kids are very internally motivated. They like get up, get on their Zoom call. They like know their homework assignments. They finish it. They like um, do their, you know, they practice for their like music lessons. Like they're very, they sort of know the expectations and they're internally motivated to like make it happen. Um okay. But there's still, you know, just the energy of being like, oh, right, we still where we have to put more energy into is like we should like spend time together. Right. Like we're not we right. shouldn't be opposite ends of, you know, the house or whatever on our Zoom calls and then just sort of like ships in the night. We should like plan out sometimes to like play a game or watch a movie or it's mm -hmm. Black History Month. My kids are my two teenagers are, are black girls. Black mm -hmm. History Month. So we're like carved out. OK, Friday nights, we're going to watch like a different Black History Month type movie. So that's yeah, like yeah. the sort of thing that goes in the calendar, goes in the Google calendar, you know, so that it actually happens. Yeah, I, I feel very fortunate in that um, both my kids, like they were in the same school because mm -hmm. um, it was a, a first through high school school, um, but they were in the same school for my oldest son's um, high school years. And every morning, we would, I would drive them because we live out in the sticks. And there's not really a bus service, right? And I'm not going to make a 15-year-old kid ride the bus every day. No, um, you know, or a 13-year-old kid. So, I, you know, and we would, but we would have that time sort of dedicated, like specifically, we're in the car, we're yeah. talking, we're, you know, sharing our love or dismay of each other's music choices, um, yeah. you know, all that, all that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, one of my kids, um, back when I was still in seminary, so I graduated last May. So I was also writing this book while I was still in graduate school. My spouse and I were both in graduate school. Oh. And I was full-time working as a pastor um, as a, at a church, plus organizing, plus kids. It was wild. But um, one of my kids loved to go to a class with me because I took a class at another seminary. And so it was like a, I don't know, 30 to 40-minute commute. And so I think she, I think she was, you know, sort of interested in the class, but she was more interested in 45 minutes with mom on, you know, Lakeshore Drive. Right. To and from and just time to talk. And, you know, sometimes we get like ice cream afterwards or something, but yeah. There's the real tie right there. It's the ice cream yeah. afterwards. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, as, as, as they got older, it became uh, Saturday mornings, sometimes Sunday brunch at the Waffle House. Yes. Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah. The waffle house isn't great. We know that, but no, uh, there's some meme the other day that was like, I believe any story that happens in a waffle house. Cause it's like all the timelines converge in the waffle house. So kind I, of, yeah, I, yeah. I, um, I like fear and respect the waffle house, you know, it's like <laughs> the whole thing, but yeah. Yeah. 
But like, you know, you walk in and the cook knows what you want because you order the same thing every time kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So they yeah. were, you know, that was that was sort of like another one of those those things we could do. And again, before times and also when they were younger and weren't getting lives of their own, which is a yeah. whole other thing. Yeah. 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 And definitely it's been weird because their social circles are definitely smaller right now, too. So I'm not competing as much with with some of that stuff. But. I'm lucky. They still, for now, you know, they still like us. So that's good. But, um, yeah, when you were talking, when we were talking earlier about like a typical day or whatever, or like what's a typical schedule, right? Um, I was thinking also about how, um, you know, in activism or community organizing, I think sometimes there's this like very glamorous image about what that's like, right? So from kind of, from like two points of view, right? From like a like a negative point of view, like there's some, you know, like weird conspiracy theorists out there that are like, oh, these activists are getting rich and they're paid to be there and da-da-da. First of all, people should be paid for their work. So I think that's a silly argument. But right. secondly, I have not gotten any of those George Soros checks. So like, where is mine? So on the one hand, there's this, like, <laughs> you know, these sort of um, detractors who are sort of like, oh, it's this glamorous, cushy lifestyle. They're right. And then on the other side, there's kind of, you know, even like supporters who act like we're all Katniss Everdeen or something. And then that it's like an right. action. It's very like sexy and glamorous. Um, and what I tell people is that community organizing is like 95 at least percent meetings. It's just like meetings. meetings. Oh, yeah. So when you, you know, ask like, what's a typical day? It's like I'll have one on one meetings so that then. I'll debrief with my org the meeting so we can have a strategic meeting about who needs to be in the next meeting so that we can try to get a meeting with this judge. Right. And then we have a meeting to prepare for the meeting and then a meeting to debrief the meeting. Like it's just so many meetings, um, which is much less glamorous. Right. Um, And it's definitely the sort of thing that, you know, there's the meetings that like you're like, oh, this could have been an email. It's the opposite of that because it's supposed to be at least at its best. Yeah, all about yeah. relationships, right? So it's like we say in community organizing that our um, if we define power as the ability to make change or influence things, that our power resides in our relationships. Like our, our building block for power is relationships. And so it's not the sort of thing that can be shortcutted with like a quick email, right? It's like you have to <laughs> like spend the time. Um, and normally I love it, right? Ministries yeah. like that too. It's supposed to be, at least at its best, it's supposed to be about relationships and caring about each other. Um, but it's definitely not, it's neither the sort of like cush- cushy activist, you know, oh, thing, yeah. or the like sexy, glamorous action movie Katniss Everdeen thing. It's it's just meetings, lots of meetings. And, and someone has to do the budget at some point. Right. Um, and yeah. even even for the sort of, you know, um, direct actions, right, like big protests or demonstrations, mm-hmm. like what you don't see is the six months of literally meetings upon meetings to make that happen. So, you know, the direct action or, or whatever is out in front, it, that's public facing. So that's what people yeah. see and know about. And what they don't know about is dozens and dozens of meetings. We, um, uh, we have uh, one of our... Now, former housemates, they live a couple miles down where they take care of their sheep in the yurt that they have. So cool. Yeah, it's it's an interesting life sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but they are they are an anarchist, and um, like okay, so uh, um, before you know, uh, is it time yet for your meeting to discuss the agenda for the pre-meeting to the meeting for 
you know, the meeting to decide what to have for lunch. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's yes. at the next meeting. Yeah. It's, uh, it and is, it, it feels like that. Yeah. Exactly like that. It is exactly like that. And, and church life is like that too, right? Like it'd be like, um, when I was working at St. Luke's, it'd be like me and the senior pastor having a meeting um, about the council meeting that's coming up. And then we're like, oh, but we should talk to the council president. So then we have that meeting and then we debrief that meeting. And then, you know, then there's the actual council meeting. Like, it's just all these <laughs> things to talk about meetings. And her and I were actually just famously bad at being like, oh, um, I need to have this meeting to talk to you about something. And then instead of just scheduling the meeting, we'd be like, what? And then we'd like talk about it right there and like pre-have the meeting and then still schedule the meeting yeah. as opposed to being like, I'll send you an email with an agenda or something, but <laughs> so many meetings, 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 meetings. Yeah. So, and I think you've covered this. I, I thought I, I heard something that sounded like a bit of advice in there. Was it? So, yeah, it <laughs> might have been. So, <laughs> what is the best advice you would give someone or and the best advice you've been given? Yeah, I think the best advice that I would give, and you, you're saying like productivity right, wise, right? Or, uh, any advice. Life, any advice. Life, whatever, yeah. Well, I'll say I'll say the best advice that I um, will give, which is also probably the best advice that I've been given, is that um, this is more true in some fields than others. But in reality, all fields and all passions and all you know human existence is about relationships. We are about connecting with each other, learning from each other. Um, and so my advice, which is something I'm always constantly learning, um, cause I can be, I can be a more task oriented person, like by nature. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've had to kind of learn that the relationship building isn't a means to an end. It's actually like the whole thing. Like that's what life is about. And sometimes I, I forget about that. Sometimes I, you know, prioritize checking things off the list on my, my Google calendar, as opposed to really seeing the people right in front of me. So, um, yeah, my advice would be that like everything's about relationships and, um, power is built in relationships and yep. you want people around you that know you, that you know, that care about you. And the only way to do that is to really invest in, in people. And I think that is a hard lesson that a lot of people have been learning right now. Yeah. Uh, oh, I guess the person that I'm stuck here with is maybe not the, you know, and I've, I've, you know, the logistics now around, well, okay, I, I guess I don't like my roommate after all, or, or whatever right. is a whole other like nightmare. I'm so glad I don't have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just the way that all of these other, you know, different relationships fill different roles in our lives. And even though, like, like I said, me and my kids were like totally wild about each other. I love hanging out. Um, at the same time, like they're used to casual interactions with friends or having you know, a music teacher or having a coach. Um, and some of that can still happen on Zoom, but it's not quite the same. And so instead it's like, me trying to fill role because I'm the person who's around me and my spouse trying to fill the roles. And it's just not, it's just not the same, right? Because yeah, yeah. different people, the variety of people in our communities, they each bring their own stories and perspectives and gifts. And so that's why, you know, we're stronger together. We're like a, yeah. a woven together, you know, net, a network. And that's what makes us strong. 
I, I love, I always love hearing it described as a network because it really is. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in IT for a living for, I, okay, don't do the math. Don't do the math. It's cool. <laughs> don't do the math. But, you know, there's, there's a lot in that uh, analogy because if you, you start to look at the big picture of what we think of as the internet and it's just a whole bunch of things connected to each other and talking to each other all the time, constantly. Right. Right. You know? Right. And that's like, you know, again, activism and also, you know, ministry again in the best situation is about connecting people, you know, in the case of ministry, connecting people to the divine and to themselves and to each other, connecting people with resources. Like, it's it's all about those those connections. That's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I have two questions left. Okay. All right. So these have been become known as the sad but easy one and the difficult but happy one, and we like to end on a happy note. Sure. Um, so the difficult but easy one, typically. Um, failure is a part of everything. Mm -hmm. failure is a part of life how do you deal with failure or missing that goal yeah um i think that for myself this is going to sound like wow you are a broken record talking about this but i really have my people around me who remind me who i am right i have these values like i said earlier i values like L, you are worth more than what you produce. L, you don't have to be perfect yeah. to be free, right? These are things I believe um, in my head, but sometimes, you know, they don't feel true in my body. And so I surround myself with people who can remind me of those things and repeat them to me um, when I really most need to hear it. So that is obviously like my partner and my mm-hmm. family and my and my friends and my colleagues um, but it's also, you know, maybe more formal relationships like mentors have been really mm-hmm. important um, and and therapists like I'm huge on therapy um, because each of these again, we just kind of talked about this, but each of these people really come at things from a different angle yeah, not yeah. Only because they're different people, but because of their relationship with me. Right. Like a therapist is going to really be like, OK, like, where is this coming from and, and what does this mean for you? And a mentor is going to be like, what did we learn from this? Right. Yep. What is this teaching you? Which is really different than my mom being like, oh, it wasn't that bad and you're amazing, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's all these different things. And for me, um, having that, the people um, around to remind me is, is really, really important. Yeah. Uh, my, also, one of my, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you finish, you finish, you finish. I was going to say, I also like my creature comforts, right? Like either celebration or agony. I'm like, you know, cocktails or... Um, you know, I don't know, back in the, you know, before times where we could go do things like go out to a restaurant or go away for a weekend, you know, like when, when things are really hard and even now that we can't necessarily do that, but like buying like favorite snack or something, some of those things help be like, it's okay to like (laughs) receive some comfort. You don't have to like beat yourself up for not being a cyborg, perfect machine. I'm going to say one of my wife's favorite phrases to, to use um, with me when I have made one of those mistakes is, okay, what have we learned? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it is it has served her and me very well uh, over the last decade. Yeah. yeah. It's so good to have people, like, 
you know, you want people who like accept and love you unconditionally mm-hmm. and also people who will be honest with you. And, like, <laughs> and sometimes those people can be the same people and sometimes oh, yeah. multiple people to fill, fill those roles. But I always, um, my, my spouse is always like when I fail, um, he, he like has a very biased point of view and, you know, thinks I'm like the most mm-hmm. brilliant person I ever walk on the earth. And so he'll be like, even if I totally mess something up, he's always going to be like, listen, Al, like, your like F, like your worst is still better than like 80% of people's literally best moments. So like, oh, yeah. you're amazing, right? Which is like, probably not true, right? But it's, it feels good to know there's people who are like, really there in your corner, who are gonna, gonna support you. So on the other side of that coin, mm-hmm. do you celebrate your successes? And if so, how? Yeah. I think a lot of those same people, you know, I think, um, you know, I should talk to my therapist about why this is. I actually think it's a little bit harder to celebrate the successes. And I think um, part of the reason um, is, you know, um, as a woman and a young woman in a predominantly male field, there's a lot of messages that are very much. I mean, the message is very much like, who do you think you are? And get in your place. And it's a lot of pressure to make yourself smaller right? To make yourself kind of like not take up space. And so it's hard sometimes to like, yeah, celebrate success or whatever. Um, And one thing that has helped me to celebrate success is to acknowledge like the other people who played a part in it. Because again, like just like, you know, in anything, like even if we like to think we're super independent, like we all rely on each other for stuff. So really, Um, using the opportunity to like thank people, like using the opportunity of success to be like, thank you. We just passed um, a major, major criminal justice reform bill in Illinois that was eight years worth of work. I've been working on it with this coalition for four years. So like it felt like a win and I was really a part of something. And it was easy to celebrate because I could say, look at this awesome team, you know, and yeah, yeah. and kind of celebrate and, and thank those folks. Um, but um, and then also to think about um, when I'm trying to unlearn this kind of like, you know, women should be small and quiet and whatever. When I'm trying to unlearn that stuff to think about, like, I want my girls, my children, my girl yeah. children to be able to, like, take up space and, and own them, their successes. And so trying to model that even even if I can't feel like it, it feels uncomfortable for me to sort of model that for them. And then also as like a semi-public figure as you know a ministry leader oh, yeah. for other people too right and um so yeah but you know as far as like successes i think like it helps a lot like things that feel good is when i tell people something happened and then people you know are excited with me or um i have a lot of friends who honestly i'm just like so lucky and they just like spoil me so much and it'll be like something big happens and they'll send me a gift you know i'm always like yeah. oh, the stuff in the mail and I'm like who got me this and it's like oh this is a um you know your your book cover reveal was so great so oh. I got you this art or like you're <laughs> I just think you're amazing so I made you this thing and um oh, those yeah. things are like I love celebrating with um and and that the thing that's nice about that is that that's stuff we can do from a distance you know like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because of our essential workers like our, our post office mail carrier type folks oh yeah yeah, we yeah. really keep things going the more and more that we're having to like order things in to keep safe and stuff. 
just like, yeah, I can still like get even just like got this letter yesterday from a, an early reader on my book. And it was just this handwritten letter about like what it meant to this person. And, you know, they've already like done the official, like wrote the endorsement to give to the publisher and whatever. But this was like right, right. a handwritten note sent to my home. And I was just like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm going to keep this forever. So that felt really, really good as far as like celebrating to have my, my people celebrate with me. I, we used to do, it's been on hiatus for the last year because it's really hard to do this sort of thing when you're, in in the now like but something that was pointed out with someone I, I just talked to also is whenever we talk about it we wave our arms because it's so big about right. what's going on now yeah um yes. but you know being known f- previously for uh a podcast where we eat terrible prepackaged food <laughs> and record reviews and drink heavily because we need to um yes. is it sometimes you know i mean the fans are wonderful people and they have mm-hmm. sent us a lot of things to eat on this show. Exactly. So sometimes right. <laughs> we're victim of our own success. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me too of, you know, when we are talking about, um, you know, how everything's about relationships and we're not just cogs in a machine and like, creating things is important, but also, you know, there's like, there's also, you know, more, there's more, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that I love and miss from organizing, I do, and, and ministry both, I really do feel like both ministry and community organizing have pivoted in amazing ways in the past year. And it's been oh, so yeah. to see like the brilliance of my colleagues and like, just like the way that some things have just been broken. There's been a lot of loss. So I'm not trying to like silver linings this, right? Like oh, people, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking dead. It's like not, it's not okay. It's no but, Right. But like um, what has been like a glimmer for me is seeing like the way that my my colleagues and stuff have been so brilliant. But one thing that we can't quite replicate um, is that the organization that I do that I'm on the board and do community organizing with Soul, with all those meetings, you know, they are so big that um, they're like a meeting without food should be an email. And we have a bajillion meetings. Right. <laughs> so there's always food. And I'm not talking like, I don't know donuts and coffee or something like it's like chicken and cornbread and mashed potato. It's like a whole thing every time. Like it's just, and so I miss, I miss that. Right. That yeah, there's some yeah. of that stuff. That's like the, I don't know. That's like the magic ingredient for some of those connections that are made is, is some of that. Oh, yeah. food. And in ministry too, right. Like in, um, you know, in, in church we have communion, which is sort of tries to do a similar thing. Um, yeah. but at some of our meetings or, you know, after church in the I don't know, coffee hour or whatever, and there's you know, snacks, <laughs> some of that stuff I really, really miss. So when you were talking about, you know, <laughs> there, there's less of an opportunity to like do this thing. That's like a really embodied, tangible, eat your weird food thing. I totally yeah, yeah. do that. Um, there used to be, I, I heard once and I haven't heard it in forever. Um, you know, thriving financial for Lutherans, right? But, yeah, there was this commercial that aired once and it was like Monday, uh, you know, this week's announcement for the service. There will be coffee and cookies in the foyer. Um, Monday night is the men's group meeting. There will be coffee and cookies in the basement yes. Tuesday night, you know, and it was just it was thing after thing to like Friday. The women's group will be meeting uh, for a cookie baking session with new recipes, <laughs> cookies coffee. and coffee, 
There will be coffee and cookies, yeah. And it was just, you know, thrive on financial for Lutherans. We know what you like. And I'm like, <laughs> nailed it. But yeah, there, there is that whole communal aspect to, there will be the, you know, there's that, that social moment of coffee and snacks or, um, yeah. oh, the AME churches that will have full meals afterwards. Yes. Um, you know, plan ahead. Don't go too hungry because if the pastor gets the spirit in them, it could be an extra hour and a half. Right. But, but you know, um, boy, that was a wake-up call. The one time when the pastor started going and I saw people breaking out snacks, and I'm like, oh, God, my blood sugar's dropping. Are we going to be here for a while? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, there, that part of that community, and there's something – Every culture has it. Every religion has it. Every people has it. There is something sacred about sharing food. Yes. Um, and uh, I've talked with it with chefs about it. Um, my wife and I have uh, just dug deep into it because she's she was an anthropology major before she fell into writing and art. So um, you know, there's there's a, a lot that goes on there. Um, yeah. And I think it's really important to to have that. Our communities are based around getting together and eating. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that is really something that's sort of like transcultural, right? Like across time and space, you know, because it's like food is like a human need. So then yeah. we do it together, you know, so. And there are very specific rules around hospitality. Yeah. Right. And yeah. That's everything. Huh. So. Yay. Tell us more about soul and where we can find out about it. Cause I know that is like a cause you really believe in. Obviously yeah. you've spent the last four or five years working on it. So. Yeah. So, um, soul, you can find out more. Um, if you go to the website, soul in Chicago.org and you can learn a little bit more about the campaigns that we're working on, um, and some of our successes. And also there's a place, you know, to donate or give. And so, um, yeah, you can, you can do that. I also try to share, you know, a lot about what's going on on my own socials and stuff too. So yeah. it's another place. Well, that was, that was actually the next question is where okay. do we find you online? Yes. <laughs> okay. well, my website is ldowd.com. And right now, if you go to ldowd.com, it will first pop up with, you know, you can, the places that you can order my book and then you can click the button to go to the website. Um, and on the website, there's, sermons and blogs and you can there's a calendar of like where you can see me speaking or preaching and um all kinds of other stuff including a collaboration form so if it's like oh you want me to come speak on a panel or or do some other whatever there's a collaboration form to fill out do a and, podcast interview for example <laughs> right yes, yes um and then you can also find me um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and my handle there is at LNowBrownDowd. And the reason for that is before I got married, my last name was Brown, so like Brown Dowd, not <laughs> Brown Dowd. Right. So that's Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. And then um, on TikTok, I'm at LDowd Ministry, which is one word. And then on Facebook, um, which is my my public page on Facebook, is facebook.com slash ministry. So that's the – I would say that, um, you know, in in real life, some of those other social media spaces would be, like, more where I occupy because the church is always 10, 15 years behind everything. A lot of church stuff happens on Facebook. 
And so I would say the Facebook page is probably the most active as far as a lot of content around activism and, and ministry stuff. But you can find me any of those places. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was really great just being able to say, here's my form. Just fill this out and then we'll discuss it. It was uh, it was a uh, uh, fantastic and I'm really happy you uh, you agreed to appear. Of course, yeah. No, I'm really glad that you asked me. This is very different than like most podcasts we do, right? Like most post podcasts <laughs> are like church ministry, whatever, or activism or politics or whatever. And this is like really different. So I was really excited to be like, obviously, like that's still what I do and that's my life. So that's going to come up like it did in, in, right, this, right. in this interview for this podcast. But it was like cool to think of it filtered through, you know, another lens of productivity. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, and I'm going to link all of this in the show notes. Awesome. And uh, after we come back from the break, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about soul. Cause I'm going to go do my, my research now. Cause we're yeah. recording this about a month before it's actually going to air. Um, so I've got a little time and, um, yeah, no, thank you so much. Of course, yeah, thanks for having me. And anytime you want to come back, just say the word. I'll be yes. here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Awesome. Uh, and uh, for the people at home, we will be right back after this. It was such a joy to talk to Elle. It really was. I'd been following her on Twitter for a while and was just excited when she said, yeah, let's let's do this thing. Um, so there's that. Make sure you check out her website and her book. And most importantly, though, haha, you should check out uh, her chosen charity. Um, and I'm really excited to be talking about them as well. Um, Soul Chicago is Southsiders Organized for Unity and Liberation, Soul. And they are basically in the streets and making changes and, you know, supporting each other and their community and fighting for affordable housing and food and public transportation and living wages and so many things. Uh, they're in the south side of Chicago, I'm just really pleased to be able to say, go check them out, uh, soulinchicago.org, and it's linked in the show notes. And that's, you know, Elle's chosen charity, and I am just thrilled beyond belief to be able to, you know, uh, point you guys in their direction. Thinking of pointing in directions, it's also time for our badge code of the week. Woohoo! Woohoo! Uh, our badge code this week actually is Soul, S O U L, um, and you can put that in at productivityalchemy.com and claim 
your open badge for this episode. Uh, you can find out more about badges and open badges at productivityalchemy.com. There's a how-to. It's, you know, really cool, and I enjoy hearing everybody's, like, Pokemon-ish things for those of you who collect the badges and have to have them all. <laughs> um, it's really great and uh, cool. Uh, we're also uh, really happy to take your letters. We have a letter show coming up in about two weeks. And so you can email us on the comment form, leave a comment on a post, or email me directly, kevin at sunny.com. Absolutely. Uh, uh, kevin love to loves your you. letters. He, yes. He also, it gives us something to talk about during the letter show. Otherwise, you know, it's just us making mouth noises for 20 minutes until we get embarrassed. I Do we get embarrassed? I sense that I still have the capacity for shame somewhere. Okay, there you go. There you go. I haven't seen it in a while, but I'm sure it's present. It's somewhere. Yes. yes. You know, I, I I haven't thrown it out in one of the spring cleaning events. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> While you are on the website, mm -hmm. uh, you could give us money if you wanted to. We'd rather you sent it to the charity that yep. uh, we talk about or any of the others that we've talked about over the, the months. Yep. And there, the, the charity spotlight is usually the first link on the show notes. Yep. Uh, like I said, this week it is Seoul in Chicago and really excited to be supporting them. And I think that's everything. That is everything. Cool. So it is the time of night where I need to go put chickens away. And I go play video games. And you go play video games. So that's what we're off to do as so that we are recharged and ready for tomorrow so that we can stay productive. Yes, even if that's moving mulch. There you go.